0: scripture for today and we'll actually be in the 11th chapter of the book of John but the scripture we'll be focusing on and we'll come back to we'll actually um, John eleven twenty-five, where Jesus stated I am the resurrection and the life that's our hope that's our promise that's our joy and our comfort um and we're so grateful um, for, that, for that beautiful promise. I thought if there was anybody who spoke Spanish today, I looked it up and, and uh, printed down the, the first part of that, which is, Yo soy la resurrección y la vida. So if somebody was watching uh, today, Well, they got the uh, Spanish um, translation of that beautiful verse we'll come back to that as that's an essential part of our study today uh, in the 11th chapter of John. But again, I'll bow our heads for a moment as we enter the study. Heavenly Father, bless us and open our hearts to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. The four Gospels, each one is, has similarities, to the others, but they're also quite unique. Matthew uh, presents Christ as the Son of David, and it's written by a Jew for the Jews about a Jew, Jesus Christ. Um, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is the Reader's Digest version. Very short, right to the point, point. and one of his favorite words, at least in the Old King James, was "straightway." So everything that happened was seemed to be in a hurry. Um, and then, of course, Luke presents the historical Son of Man. And, of course, he is the geographer, Every amazing details that Luke, the physician, provides um, in his story in, in, of, of Christ. And then John, which is very unique, presents Christ particularly as the Son of God, as the fully, totally divine, eternal um, one with the Father. And what's interesting about the, the book of John is that it begins with the baptism. There are no parables. All the others have the parables. He doesn't do the parables. Um, he does very few miracles. He very counts very few, a few, yes, as we'll see, but not many. Very carefully chosen. He also shares with us the seven I Am statements of Jesus Christ which um, you not find in the other Gospels, at least not all seven, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I'm the light of heaven. Uh, Before Abraham was, I am. uh, I am the good shepherd, resurrection and the life, and I am the way, the truth, and the life, and and I am the true vine. Um, And it has been said that if we were to have only one book in the Bible, Available to us probably should be the Gospel of John because it has this most magnificent portrayal uh, of of Jesus Christ. Now thank God we got the whole thing. but if we were reduced to that and we had to choose, uh, I think john would would be the gospel uh, to to have and to, and to rejoice and be thankful for and so this unique story. Of the death of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus uh, is unique to the Gospels. Not sure why, but uh, it's certainly an amazing story, and we want to work our way through that today and uh, see what we can what we can learn. And uh, <clears throat> it says a certain man was sick. That's verse one. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who had anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, that's a rather cryptic message. I mean, Jesus loved everybody, (laughs) but um, they knew he would know what they meant. And apparently they, as they were following obviously Jiva's ministry, they knew about the hatred against him by the leaders of Israel. and so they knew it was difficult. Each time he went somewhere, he would you know had these crowds following him, and of course his enemies as well. So I think they were trying to avoid a little bit of that, and um, so they sent this little message to him. And when Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Um, you may have noticed that Jesus often said unusual things, um, at times confusing things. And I'm, I, we know that the disciples were puzzled, as we'll see. And what, what did Jesus mean by that? Um, the sickness doesn't that, well, at first it sounds great. He's not going to die. Praise God. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And, of course, their home was his only home he had during his ministry. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Wow. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that Lazarus is very, very, very ill. And so he said, "When he heard that, he stayed two more places, uh, two more days, rather, in the place where he was. Uh, and I'm sure that a disciples said, "Ooh, what, what's going on here? Why would, would Jesus not go where he's needed?" Well, as we will see, um, when God chooses a delay, it's always for our good, ultimate good, our eternal good. Um, we don't like delays, especially in the microwave age. We like to you know, punch things and have it happen. And um, uh, But apparently delays have a place, and they did here. Then after he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you going there again? It seems that the disciples had already forgotten about Lazarus. Because they, they couldn't imagine why he's going to go now. Jesus answered, Are oh, there not twelve hours in the day? If, any, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one Walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. disciples said, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. We all know if you're really, really sick and you need extra rest, you know, that's good. But however, Jesus spoke of his death. And they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And, of course, this is a description of death in this world as that dreamless sleep. And Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then he says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. I'm sure they were saying, what? (laughs) Say that again? (laughs) What what did you just say? I am glad for your sakes I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. (laughs) Yeah. the good news is that doubting Thomas was a disciple and ended up, you know, a life of ministry. And once he got past the doubts, you know, he became, we don't hear much about him, but we, we learn from uh, the records of others, in, in, you know, later um, outside the scriptures that um, it is believed that Thomas made his way all the way to India as a missionary, according to extra-biblical sources. And so in spite of the fact that he had doubts, he didn't give up on Jesus, and Jesus didn't give up on him. And that's the good news. So Jesus said, you know, plainly, Lazarus is dead. A lot of confusion in our world today about what happens when you die. Um tremendous amount of confusion. It all goes back to the, the Garden of Eden. You remember the first lie was, ah, you shall not surely die. Um, and people like that lie. Seems comforting. Seems very comforting. You know, you're not really going to die. It's going to float off somewhere. Um, and people cling to that um, concept that the dead aren't really dead. But as we know, Satan, in particular in his last days, will use that false belief to open the doors wide open to spiritualism, full bore, Um, without a doubt. Now, what is amazing is that in places where there shouldn't be any confusion about what happens when you die... Since that's one of the great pillars of of doctrine of teaching of our church, that um, you are dead and then you wait for the resurrection, and um, and as this uh, says in the Old Testament, the living know they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Very clear. Um, I did a survey, 2017-2018. This was the global church member survey commissioned by the General Conference. Uh, 55,000 people took the survey. And um, when they were presented with the statement, quote, when people die, their bodily remains decay and they have no consciousness or activity until they are resurrected. And uh, 82% of the people said, yes, that's correct. 13% weren't sure. Um, Then there was another statement that seemed to be more confusing to some. Quote, the soul is a separate spiritual part of the person that lives on after death. And they were to either agree or disagree with that statement. Um, And what's amazing is that 40% of the 55,000 agreed with the statement. Now, how can you believe the Bible and believe the teachings of our church for the last 100 plus years and still have a question about what happens when you die? Um, Some have suggested that the... Influence of our modern culture—the fact that you hear these stories about these near-death experiences and the people on the operating table and they technically dead and they, you know, have this dream or something—you know—they see themselves in heaven and then they come back—and all of this apparently has some influence on uh, on these people. Um, In fact, in an article, uh, speaks of the fact. I saw in the New Review online. It was a very excellent article. Um, talking about the fact that that is science the new spiritualism. You want to go online? It's a very interesting article. Um, and the fact that the science scientists are right now working on building supercomputers, the objective which is to find a way that when a person dies to upload their neuron activity just before they die, to the cloud so that at some point in the future they can resurrect the consciousness of this person. Yeah, that bothered me too when I thought about it. <laughs> uh, now, it's not going to work. But I wouldn't doubt that it's going to look like it's working because the devil is a master of deception. But we have to trust the Bible And um, also, when Jesus said Lazarus is dead, and as we know in a moment, he's dead in the tomb four days. Four days, gone. When Lazarus is resurrected, did he tell us about all his wonderful journey to heaven in the meantime? No, he didn't have anything to say. He had been in the grave. You know, waiting uh, for the for for the resurrection. Um, There was nothing to report, and if, as people often believe, that when you die, you know, if you've been good and if your good deeds have outweighed your bad deeds, then you you go to heaven. If that were true for Lazarus, he had been pretty upset when he got resurrected down here and brought back down here. I mean, if that happened to me, I'd be kind of upset. Why'd you do this, Lord? Uh, but no, that's not what happened. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem. Sorry. About two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the other women around Mary and Martha to comfort them. Concerning the brother, now Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, went and met him that Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That was true. That was all true. That's why Jesus stayed away, because he had something better in mind. And, uh, but she says, but even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, do I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day? Martha, who we always picture being busy in the kitchen, not listening, was listening. <laughs> She's a pretty good theologian. She had this understood, the second coming and the resurrect, general resurrection. She had been listening. Uh, it would have been better if she had probably listened more attentively with Mary. But nevertheless, she was listening. She had an understanding a better understanding, I think, even than the disciples did at this point. And, um, but Jesus then said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever believes, lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ. That is the anointed one, the Messiah. That was the Greek word for the Messiah. Um, the Son of God who is to come into this world. Um, beautiful. Her trust, her absolute trust and faith, and of course Mary's as well, uh, in, in Jesus. Because apart from the disciples themselves who spent those three and a half years very close to Jesus, um, Jesus got to spend more time at this home off and on, than any other place that he was. And they got to hear Jesus' teachings firsthand. Um, but this tremendous promise that Jesus gives he says, Even though he may die, he shall live, and whoever believes in me shall never die. And people say, Oh, that's it, that's it. You just go straight to heaven. No, Jesus is talking about the second death. That the first death we all will suffer unless. Jesus comes first, with the exception of Enoch and, and uh, Elijah, uh, who got translated. And apparently those who rose with Jesus at, at uh, his crucifixion, resurrection, and went back to heaven, but they weren't translated alive. They were resurrected. So he's talking about the second death, the first death and the second death. Okay, continuing. And when she said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary her sister, and said, the teacher has come and calling for you. And again, I think they really didn't want the big crowds around. They're going to get them anyway. But she was trying to make it as quiet, personal as possible. And when she heard that, she rose quickly. Um, and that says, then the Jews who were with her in the house, comforting her, and she saw that, they saw that Mary rose up quickly and followed her, saying, ah, she's going to the tomb to weep. And Mary came where Jesus was and saw him and fell down at his feet, saying again, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would have not died. Would not have died. Um, So true. But you see, Jesus had something better in mind. When we are trusting Jesus and disappointments and sorrows and suffering and loss of loved ones, tragedies happen. We don't know why they're permitted, but we do know Obviously, they are permitted. But someday, Jesus will give a marvelous answer. He'll show us why that was allowed to happen. Now, the devil is our enemy. He's the one causing all the trouble. But God is choosing to permit many things to happen that are not our first choice. And someday, he will give us the rest of the story. And, um, and then we will rejoice with him. This Mary who was so privileged to literally be redeemed from the demons. I said Jesus prayed over her seven times. Um, Of course, originally she was dragged to his feet uh, and expected to be stoned to death. And then weeping at his feet, anointing his feet, washing his feet, and after the resurrection morning, again, she was, she was there uh, when she finally recognized who he was and um, fell at his feet. And the message she received because of her total redemption, her, her resurrection in her life from a life of sin to a life of joy and happiness and purity, Jesus said, That's resurrection, mourn, go and tell, my brethren. And that's what we are called to do. When we have been blessed, redeemed, rescued, we are called to share, to bless, and encourage others. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her, we be groaned in his spirit and was troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And it says in verse 35 Jesus wept. Well, he wasn't weeping for Lazarus. He knew what he was going to do for Lazarus, and you know, that was going to be a joy. Um, he was weeping for the unbelief because he knew this would take him straight to the cross. I've shared with you, uh, some of you, the story of the, I think they were having a a youth leadership retreat somewhere a few years ago, and um, the the leader of the group was very energetic, so they'd have worship every morning at 6 a.m., and uh, so that first morning with the uh, leader of the group and he's all the other youth leaders and uh, this lady announced I want you all to share your favorite text in the Bible and tell me why well the first person who got to speak up was a young lady and she chose John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept and the others felt a little bit sad because they were going to use that short verse too because, you know, they were trying desperately this early in the morning to remember a text. And, um, and so they, the leader said, well, why did you choose that verse? And this young woman said, I've had a lot of sadness and sorrow in my life. I know what it is to weep. And this tells me that my Jesus understands me. He connects with the human family, connects with me. And then they understood why this was such a precious verse to this to this young lady, because Jesus cares for us. And then, of course, some said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Of course, the answer was yes. So again, Jesus, groaning in himself, comes to the tomb. There was a cave, and a stone lay against it, and Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, Jesus could have had the angels do it. Or he could have just motioned his finger and the stones would obey. There's a lot of ways to get this accomplished. But he asked the ones there to move away the stone from the the tomb. And you think, well, why? I have a theory which seems to Uh, Surface from time to time in the Bible, that God never proposes to do for us that which we can do for ourselves. He wants us to be partners. (laughs) He wants us to be involved. And so they couldn't resurrect Lazarus, but they could roll away the stone. That part they could do. And um, of course, Martha points out, says, now, Lord, she's the practical one there's been a stench, there is a stench, he's been dead four days, he's decomposing. This verse is incredibly important because there was a belief at that time that for a few days after someone died, the spirit just kind of hung around nearby just in case the body got better. And then about the third day or so, it was gone, finished. So this text let everybody know then and throughout history that this was a really, really dead person. No guesswork. You know, we've all heard stories of people that they thought were dead. and You know, in fact, I remember hearing the story of a body that was on the way to the morgue, obviously a long time ago, and it turned out it wasn't quite dead. And so the person just reached out and tapped the hand of the orderly. (laughs) And you can imagine (laughs) the the consternation. Uh, But what this tells us is that he was really dead, completely dead. He was decomposing. And yet, through the power of God, through the power of Christ's divinity, the resurrection takes place. And um, because Jesus said, "Did did I not tell you? If you would believe, you'd see the glory of God. And, of course, they took away the stone. And he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you're always near me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. This was the crowning act of Christ's ministry prior to, to, to the um, crucifixion and the resurrection, but as far as what he did for others. This was the, the crowning act of his, of his divinity. And when he said these things, he cried out, with a, cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. If Christ had not been very specific and said, Lazarus, come forth, there would have been a general resurrection. Maybe the whole world. Don't know. Um, he certainly had that power. So it says, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out. his face was wrapped with a cloth. Of course, he was bound with the grave clothes. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. And again, Jesus could have unwrapped him, just flicked his finger or had the angels do it. But they could do that part. Now, Lazarus was pretty well wrapped up, as you can imagine. They used to, you know, all these long bands of cloth, and they would wrap and wrap and wrap, and they would have the spices in there and all the stuff that was supposed to slow down the decomposition. Um, So he was tightly bound. He couldn't get out. But he needed some help. And so Jesus said, loose him and let him go. We have the privilege of helping others break free from the sin and sorrow and suffering of this world, from the discouragement, from the depression, from broken relationships, we have the privilege of pointing their eyes toward Jesus so that they can break free. And there may be, in many of our lives, there may be stones in the way that need to be rolled out of the way so that Jesus can continue his work in us and his work for others. Many of the Jews who had come to Mary who had seen the things that Jesus did believed in him, but some went away to the Pharisees and told things which Jesus did. And, of course, as we know from the rest of the chapter, um, the plotting really gets into earnest. It says in verse 53, from that day on they plotted to put him to death. And it also mentions, uh, i trying to remember now if it's in this gospel or one of the other gospels, that they were also plotting to put Lazarus to death. Sin is insanity. And the ones who were captive, allowed themselves to be captive of Satan in their hatred toward Christ, they were insane, completely insane. Um, why would you try to put somebody to death who'd just been resurrected? Um, That's how how much they were captured by the enemy uh, and how great their hatred was. There in in verse 49, it says, One of them, Caiaphas, being a high priest that year, um, said, You know nothing. Do you not know that it is expedient for us that one should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish? Because just before that, they had mentioned this man's doing many works, They said, everybody's going to believe on him. The Romans will come and take away our our place, our nation. Well, if everybody had believed on Jesus, the Romans wouldn't have been a problem at all. If Israel had been faithful, God still had a work for Israel to do. Um, But the idea of sacrificing someone for the good of others what was it, it was a pagan notion now it's true in Christ it was voluntary he chose to take our place but in the world a lot of pagan religions you know they offer sacrifices and, um, and actually uh, sacrifice people and it was a big thing in South America with the Incas uh, the sacrifices they did uh, to, plead, to appease the gods the sacrifices of children um, what a what uh, a tragedy And there are those today who are willing to sacrifice others for money, for an agenda, um, without a doubt. And in fact, someone said recently that um, they weren't too worried about the fact of how many people had already died from not having sufficient early intervention with COVID. you know not a problem but when God's spirit is absent as we see in the rest of the world the pagan religions life has no meaning the only place where life has meaning is in Christianity where each person is of infinite value in the rest of the world in the pagan nations life means very very little it certainly it wasn't communist Russia and Communist China, um, where during those terrible years, a hundred million people were put to death, because life means nothing. It was always for the greater good. Watch out when people tell you you should do this for the greater good, even though it is illogical and even perhaps dangerous. Um, but from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. The good news is that Jesus gave us this evidence of his divinity and a precursor, a small picture of the great resurrection at the end of the world of those who choose and follow and love Jesus. Um, and I'm so thankful that we have this story telling us not only of Jesus' love, but also that any time He permits a delay and permits a tragedy, permits a sorrow, permits suffering, permits disappointment, He probably, assuredly, has something better in mind for us. As long as we are choosing to follow Him and trust and believe. Now, we can make a wrong turn and we can you know, get ourselves into all kinds of trouble on our own. But if we're following him, and we still are faced with these tremendous difficulties of life, we can trust Jesus that even if he doesn't, what seemed to answer our prayer right now, our specific prayer, all the prayers for healing, for the needs of our heart, will be answered, certainly, uh, at the first resurrection. And no matter what happens, Jesus has said that we can trust him, that even though we may die, and we know unless Jesus comes first, we will die the first death, that through Christ, through his redemption, we have the privilege of being in the first resurrection. And I believe with all my heart that the resurrection, first resurrection, second coming of the believers will be the happiest day in the entire existence of Jesus, because he gets to bring back his friends. I mean has been you know he's been—you know—he's had a lot of joys and a lot of sorrows, um, and certainly <laughs> through the tragic experiment of sin on this planet. But he will have the privilege of bringing back his friends. And what a joy. I can only imagine the glow that was on Jesus' face when his friend Lazarus came back out of that tomb. I am sure Jesus just had this wonderful smile. The smile is going to be even greater. The second coming, when Jesus has the privilege of restoring to life those who have trusted fallen asleep in Jesus. And um, as the scriptures say in Revelation, blessed are they that die from now on, for their works will follow them. This particularly talks about those that die uh, toward the end of time. But that's always been true. Those that die in Jesus are safe for eternity. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beautiful story Of your love, of your caring, of your kindness, of your wisdom, and of your blessing. The story of Lazarus. And Lord, how we long for the day when Jesus will come. Bring back to life all of his friends, those who followed him. And we pray, Lord, that we will be found faithful. So that we may have the joy of that tremendous experience. Sing loved ones and friends, but most of all, to get to see the face of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.